0: Hey folks, before we begin the show, I just want to let you know that we do talk about some heavy themes, including domestic violence and sexual assault towards the 56-minute mark. Just want to let you know. Be well.
1: When you need a break from the high-pressure world of U.S. Men's National Team Twitter so you go to Arsenal, it's <laughs> that So MLS... <laughs> A North American <laughs> Soccer Podcast oh, with myself, man. Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton.
0: <laughs> Hello. <laughs> that, was a, that was a really good one. <laughs> and the best the best ones are where I have no inkling of what it's going to be, but wow, that delivered. That was great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nick, how are you doing?
0: Oh, you know, hanging in there, it has been a time, but I'm very excited to be talking about some soccer. Of course, lots has been going on since we last joined our listeners. Um how are you doing? A
1: tumultuous off season. In in a tumultuous off in, season. In many leagues. And also, you know, we had uh we had games.
0: We have actual games of soccer that meant things to talk about.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that do we do we want to start there with with sort of the Canada international break, which
0: yeah I think we should probably yeah let's go back and talk about games and then we'll we'll get into some MLS stuff and and sort of warm things up for the preseason there but yeah we have t- I mean two massive games uh, from Canada to talk about
1: I think I've I've, I've started um, I started following the Canadian international national team I think in like two thousand nine. It was a game against... Mm-hmm. It was a friendly against Inca. I remember that much. And I don't think that there's ever been an international window as uniformly positive as this one that I can recall. Just like... Just like all good vibes, what beautiful goals, funny goals. No. <laughs> it's... It's sort of like...
0: I mean, I don't want to take any sheen off of it yet, but it's like as a... As a Canadian fan, as a Vancouver Whitecaps fan, I'm sure there's other teams you support (laughs) that are like this too. You're kind of always waiting for the other shoe to drop. So for things to be this uniformly, like you say, just positive and like we're all feeling good, they're playing good, like things are just good, 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 good. It's a, it almost sort of gives you this weird, like, nervous, giggly energy because
1: you're just like, this doesn't usually happen this way. People are saying things like, we've got to make sure that we make it into pot three for World Cup seeding, or uh, so-and-so might not make this year's squad, but it'll be ready for 2026. And I'm like, what is happening? I know. Yeah. Just,
0: and and that, that alone, I think, is is all the analysis. It, well, of course it needs more analysis, but like that kind of says everything is as I realized even myself analyzing the games and, and sort of really trying to to break down like, OK, what are what is it that we're doing so well? It it really just sort of boggles the mind. A bit. <laughs> like it's 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 kind of it's kind of hard to believe. Um, the, the things that if you're like picking it apart, you're like, oh, I mean, the kinds of thing, the kinds of questions we're asking about our squad now are questions that you ask of a team that's getting ready to get some distance into the world cup, not to qualify. Um, so yeah, I'm, (laughs) I'm feeling it. I'm feeling good. And, and certainly I'll be the first to say that, like, I have not been as engaged with it. Canadian men's national team um because of a lot of the heartbreak and <laughs> <laughs> there's only so much that you can can put yourself through and um yeah certainly it's been only in the last couple of years that at, at, with the um massive improvement in quality and also obviously the addition of John Herdman that's kind of when I've like actually started to to pay closer attention and and really tune in and watch games and
1: yeah, it's it's pretty outstanding. Okay, so it wouldn't have been two thousand nine because I was just thinking it was the two thousand seven gold cup. I think where um, the 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 comparator I was going to have was that was the when Canada made it to the semifinals of the gold cup, and everybody is saying, you know, um, okay, we'll see you in the hex next year. And then of course things fall apart. Dale Mitchell is the manager, um, yeah. in in a team that had. You know, a, a lot of top MLS stars somehow like fell apart. That's the that's the other shoe that has usually dropped. You know, everything mm-hmm. is everything needs to happen except one more thing, and it doesn't happen because.
0: Well, and that's kind of why I hadn't been engaged up to this point. It wasn't that I didn't care or I didn't want to support the team. It's Mm -hmm. that I found it really frustrating to watch. It was also also usually really difficult to watch. It still is sometimes. (laughs) So I was just sort of like, well, you know, I know I'm going to talk to you about it and you're going to give me the full tactical breakdown. Like, that's my engagement with it. Right. (laughs) You know. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it was hard to watch at times because it, it so it always felt like, you know, with a couple more pieces or things just being done slightly differently, it was like there was always the potential there. It was just like a consistent never actually living up to that potential. Or if, if one positive thing worked, then there'd be three new negative things <laughs> or three new mistakes right. that would crop up to kind of negate that improvement. And now we're seeing an era where, I mean, just spoiled for options. And I, we don't need to hammer this point home because the broadcasters made us very aware <laughs> that without Alfonso Davies, um, there, that created a significant challenge for Canada. And yet they didn't miss a step.
1: Yeah. We, we, we had heard at the very beginning of, of January, essentially that, that, um, Bayern had a number of players return with with COVID following their international break, and when um, Fonzie finished his uh, mandatory quarantine, they found sort of like a. I'm trying to remember. I think myocarditis, so like essentially yeah. a slight uh, a slight swelling of the heart. Uh, my understanding is is that um, it's dangerous if not looked after, which you know highlights. Uh, for for players at other levels that may not have like the 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 um, the pre testing that a, that a Bayern Munich might have, how important it is right, to yeah the
0: the access to that medical care.
1: Yeah, he had a he had great access that that allowed him to uh, essentially detected that injury before he could aggrieve it, which I think is wonderful. Um, but he was off the list, and 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 this in some ways was a pretty pivotal. Obviously, the the Mexico games, the Mexico game at home was a pivotal one in Edmonton. Um, I I think that that one, because that one went well, the 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 drama was off this set of matches a little bit. But U.S. at home is always a huge game, and it has been since we got that win in nation. In, in, in since we got that win in Nations League, now the thought is like maybe we maybe we can maybe we can win this yeah. one too. Um.
0: Well, and I think that also again signals the changing expectations. Right? Yeah,
1: because this is still yeah. only the second win, um, but then you have as well with this particular one the um, the Honduras thing. And I mean, we you can think back to the six one loss, but I also think that the big deal with that was that Honduras was essentially the kingmaker in nineteen eighty five. I loved mm-hmm. that uh, feature from Pablo Maurer in the Athletic. Um. Talking about that story in in Newfoundland and Labrador, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, 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 that really got me into the into the mindset to enjoy some World qualifiers and, and and away Honduras. It's not the same because it's obviously not like the same level of imposingness as um, as the U.S. or Mexico, but it has in a sense been like a boogie team. Or like you know, at least our worst nightmare. They're the boss. Well, they're the boss. We all yeah. die at. Yeah, exactly. And as
0: as we've seen, like, can certainly bring some some chaos and definitely some quality to games as well. Yes.
1: Um, we Tejan Buchanan, who has made his move to Belgium. Um, That's right. Uh, we still get to see him uh, in coffee and uh, caffeine completes his chaos magic of uh just just put the like you know really really great run really great ball to put the the to put things into danger and then the defenders do the work for him absolutely
0: uh brilliant application of the just put the ball in the box (laughs) approach (laughs) to attacking play i mean yeah it it's such a a lights out Uh, start to the game um and and Tejan's just doing tricky things down that wing and I mean the superlatives and and the individual performances like we could go on we'd need a much longer show format to talk about every single player and what they've done well but you know Buchanan is a fantastic player we know all about his speed and his versatility and of course is still a developing player and and there's times where it's you know it's the decision making usually that's sort of the, the the final ball that that needs to be improved upon, and you know what is it? It's not even ten minutes in when he makes that <laughs> that move, mm-hmm. um, and then it's Maldonado from Hondur- Honduras that just sticks a leg out to to try to bash the ball away, but of course hits it wrong and and is, puts it into the back of his own net. But it it really is the work of Buchanan that gets this goal and, and just seems to kind of like write the script of the game from, from there on out.
1: Yeah. Um, the, I think that one of the things that is most interesting about this one, if I recall, is that I think this is one of the ones even more than the U S game, I think where, um, if, you know, I think there's a month before the, before the second goal, I think there's a monster stop for Borean. But before uh like so so you're
0: there's a couple, but yeah, there was one monster one in particular that's just like a swooping cat kind of
1: Canada definitely puts uh or, Tejan definitely puts Canada in a good position, but I felt in this game that Honduras was always there was there was a a, a Honduras win here just as just as possibly as there was a Canada one. Um I don't know if I
0: felt like it was a, a Honduras win was just as possible, but I, I do feel like Honduras had moments where maybe they weren't dictating the match, but they were, I mean, I think they broke Canada down better than the U.S. did, for <laughs> instance. Like, I think, you know, Canada's tactical shape with the way that they're playing three at the back and the way that then they sort of expand out in attack and then they collapse down and get very compact in defense. It's a great system. Obviously, we're seeing lots of teams institute it. But if you can break those lines when you've got the the fullbacks slash wingers so committed upfield, you can break through those lines and get hit on the counter. And there was definitely a few chances from Honduras where it was really just <laughs> the quick thinking and quick fingertips of Borian that mm-hmm. kept us in the game. Um, it certainly felt like an equalizing goal, at least, was cert- was definitely in the cards at points. And I thought Canada rode that pressure out really, really well, but it definitely showed that, you know, we're still vulnerable. Um, and teams that can also transition quickly, that's one of the weaknesses of this formation and this system. Um, you're obvi- obviously relying on athleticism of... People like Sam Adekube and Tejan Buchanan to, you know, when they're committed that far forward, they can also get back. But again, depending on what phase of play you're in and what you're trying to do, that's just not always possible. So, it, yeah, there was definitely shaky moments. And I think there was still always a feeling like it's CONCACAF it's away <laughs> in Honduras. So even if their play was at times disjointed and, and I felt like it didn't really look like Honduras could grab hold of the game, but it certainly looked like they could claw their way back in. And, we've, and we know like crazy things can happen. So I, I guess, you know, if I think about Honduras's play, they probably could have got an equalizing goal and it's CONCACAF. So there could have just been a ghost penalty. And well, they <laughs> also win. right
1: after the second goal, they hit they hit the crossbar like right away. Like like within yeah, yeah, within yeah. three seconds, so it could have been two two. That's that's my main. That's true. That's my main yeah. thought is that that you're right. Maybe like Canada was way in terms of like the approach to the game. Canada was was superior and and um came into it with the best form. But I just think that it could have as easily been on 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 equal. You know, depending on the roll yeah. of the dice, it could have been in equal terms even after that goal. Um, but regardless of yeah. what you say about tactics, how do you tactically prepare for Liam Fraser lofting it into the to the air from his own thirty-five? Yeah. And <laughs> and it's four touches later, three touches later. It's in the it's in the back of the net.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I I literally just watched it again. Uh, this morning and i've watched it many many times <laughs> but it it just it's it's a astounding i mean it, it really is the goal of a world-class striker and the fact that jonathan david is 22 just scares me a little <laughs> um, i mean the, the pass is world-class and exceptional and as equally important but for Jonathan David to to control the way he does he's not offside because he's still in his own half um expertly brings it down on his chest pushes it ahead so that he can run onto it at, at, in front of the defenders perfectly like oh man every single thing about it is is exceptional and the finish is is just as casual as you like and i i mean i know it's not i know that is hours and hours and hours and hours of of work um put in to do that kind of thing but it, it's just for me such a signal of of how far the the entire team has come that it's not just about individual i mean yes it is about individual performances but it's a player like jonathan david elevates everybody around him and you know players want to feed him the ball i i feel like when mm-hmm. we talk about the U.S. men's national team will that will be our sort of comparison is I feel like the Canadians right now all play with this sort of open joy and and um, selflessness and you know when they see a teammate who's in a, a good space they're ready to serve them that pass on a dime and and let them take a crack at it um so
1: we have been yeah. we have been uh, as a friend of mine would say treated to a treat um, with in in a lot of these windows, but that was one of just you're you're absolutely right world class just just amazing um, showings. When you when you get to the to the USA Canada game with its you know they had to resell they resold all of the tickets right um, yeah. and and made everybody rebuy which. I think, you know, ultimately it didn't hurt the, the, the standings of it. it. The The stands looked pretty good. It seemed like everybody was, the the atmosphere in the game was yeah. good. Because I think that that's the most important thing. Um, when people talk about, you know, we should be playing, um, you know, play teams in colder climates or whatever. Outside in Hamilton, outside in Edmonton, outside of Minnesota. Which I understand the U.S. tried and it worked like way worse for them. Yeah. It just,
0: well, it's everything in moderation. I feel like, (laughs) yeah.
1: Doesn't need to be Minnesota
0: cold there, bud.
1: The most important thing, more important than like, you know, it being cold or snowy or, 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 or oppressive to the visitors, um, is a hot crowd. Absolutely. You know, like a, a hot crowd that's behind you. and, And I think that, um, luckily that was there at that game. The vibe was good. You know, before the Mexico game you would say, um there was the joke, I can't remember who tweeted it, but it's like the um universe print convincing yourself that that um bad weather before a game benefits the weaker team, Mexico. Um certainly Canada, I think, came into this. Uh the, the On form, I feel like there was already kind of a mental advantage, like you said, of the joy, both from fans and, and of uh, both of the players and of fans of like, like we're feeling confident we're in here. We could do this. Canada kind of like played. I'm not going to say that Canada didn't play a scrappy game. It's not that they 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 strolled in like they were like they owned the place. Um, But I think that uh, I think it was a wonderful performance against the States.
0: It, yeah, it, it really was. I mean, I, I think this is the thing that we're all, I mean, many called it earlier, but we're all kind of realizing about Herdman and, and the way he sets his teams up is that, I, I think you said it, it's that the mindset thing is actually kind of the most important thing. The, the team is mentally in the right headspace going into this stretch. I think they're taking all the right things seriously, but it's clear that they're also having fun. I mean, it's easier to have fun when you're winning, But by comparison, when you look at the U.S. men's national team, you know, I know that um, after the game, I think it was Atiba Hutchinson that said, like, this is different now. Like, the U.S. is scared to play us. I think that there's definitely an element of truth to that. I want to believe it (laughs) even more than it's probably true. (laughs) But what I see from the U.S. men's national team is, is just a lot of slumped shoulders and... I don't see players that fully buy in or believe in the system that they're being asked to play. Or, I, I mean, whatever the, the reason might be, it doesn't look like a team that mentally is in the right headspace. You can see it all over their faces. You can see it on set pieces. Um, the, the players don't always look fully convinced that they can win. And the Canadians, I think, have this really nice mindset right now that is not just like, we, we can beat anyone... But it's like, but we can beat anyone if we stick together and we do the right things (laughs) and we wait for our moments. And, you know, that counterattacking style means you concede an awful lot of possession. It's not my favorite (laughs) tactical setup in the world, but if you're going to do it, do it well. And I feel like, you know canada and the sounders have a, a a fairly similar setup and i mean even <laughs> even the white caps to a certain degree like this is a, a becoming a very popular um formation but also just tactically how they do it it wasn't an elite showing um i think that we did look again quite shaky at times and and that if there's one thing for me that's kind of in the back of my head about well what comes next it's that I think yes you can concede a lot of possession, to concede quite so much and, and to be I, I think there was just times where it looked like we were a little bit too eager to play the first ball and you know, always looking for the quick release rather and the quick counterattack rather than holding on to possession at times. However, mm-hmm. you know, we were also missing <laughs> some pieces and, and players have had to rotate in. And ultimately, I think they've all done the job that's been asked of them. Um, there's just, there's so much positive to say. But I, I do feel like, you know, is the the individual moments have been amazing. Overall, I think the games have been like, yeah, they've more evenly matched than maybe the
1: scoreline
0: would, would suggest.
1: Because that's the thing about, like, a game. I, I agree that I think that, like, the atmosphere for a lot of it. I mean, like, the pressure wasn't... Thankfully, you know, seven minutes in, that was just the biggest surprise that the, the Canada. Yeah. You go into this with like a lot of comp. You're, you're as a fan, you're thinking like, oh yeah, okay, this can go well. And then Laren scores on seven minutes in. It's like, well, I didn't know it was going to go that way. Well. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, which is and it's you know and it's off of like an aggressive, uh, I mean defensive header from Hutchinson that just spills it into open space. And then Laren actually creates his own chance. And and that's the thing. And you're just like, again, another player that, that's playing his best soccer and and just I mean astounding skill. Lord knows I've had criticism of Kyle Laren, but I'll be the first to say, I'm happy to eat humble pie now, and, and just be like, he's he's playing incredibly well. He's he looks positive, he's in shape, he's playing for his teammates. Um, it, it's just such a fantastic turnaround from him.
1: Um, I think that when you look at it, like, so so Canada could play with the lead a little bit and in, and take on, uh, soak up some of that pressure, but it's kind of funny to me that, like, you know, you sneak at the beginning, you get one, you play tense for 80 minutes, and then at the end, you sneak another one, and then you're like, ah, oh, does it roll! We... <laughs> what an easy what a what a great time at the office that was I was, know as if it wasn't a, a knuckle in in some sense in some parts of a white knuckle experience yeah
0: and I mean i I think I was thinking about the first game and I sort of thought like the the a, the tactic seems to be just hit him early hold on and then finish it late. but I don't know that it's all that intentional. <laughs> I think that's the way that it's <laughs> it's worked out but these in a way, despite being Two very different types of games. I mean, Canada really did win them in identical ways. And when you look at Atakube's goal that seals this one off, it's very, very similar to the play um, and goal from Jonathan David against Honduras. I mean, definitely, there's differences there, but it, it just it's so it's so funny how they kind of almost hit rinse and repeat, um, despite the games looking very different.
1: Very happy for 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 Sam, who I thought has played well um, this in the last couple of windows, to get a goal to his name as well.
0: Yeah, it's it's almost hard to believe with the skill with which he scores this goal that that's his first for country. Um, and I like that Herdman was pretty honest in the the post match to say like he hasn't had the easiest time under me. You know, he's he's been he's been knocked down the pecking order and he's had to fight his way back in. But the, you know, obviously we've always been f- big fans of Sam Adekube here, but, you know, there's always been work there. And, and it's been a lot about potential, but definitely things that could be improved. And, <laughs> I mean, both games, just playing with the, the confidence and, and the skill and awareness uh, of a player far beyond his years... Um, and again, it's just such a, a massive positive to take from this. It's just <laughs> the the confidence in his ability to bring that ball down, turn into the space, go for it, running right down their throats and then finishing it so perfectly. It's just, <laughs> you know, it was it was like it's sort of. I feel like it's like when a band is playing really well and they're all sort of, like, one-upping each other. I felt like this was Adeqube's <laughs> kind of, like, wink to Jonathan David to be like, oh, yeah, you can do it? Well, <laughs> I can do it, too. and But in this, like, joyous way where we all win, <laughs> you know, we all get to reap the benefits of it. Um, yeah, I, every single player, I think, did incredibly great things, um, and, and we could say positive things about every single player on this squad and um <laughs> it's just it's good it's good like i'm sitting here smiling running out of
1: words to say about it it's good times el salvador uh game had a little bit more of a um the elsal game was like a little bit more um workmanlike in terms of you know they had a they had a uh a better matchup for Canada, it seems, in some ways, than the other teams did. And, and uh, you had this goal. It has to go Laren to Hutchinson's head, to the goalpost, to the defender's knee, to Atiba's back, to the goal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one. No, that uh, I hear that CONCACAF has reinstituted VAR now. In, in the World Cup qualifiers, because earlier they had said, "Well, we are not." Um, earlier they had said we 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 started World Cup qualifying without VAR, so we can't. Even though we have it in the Champions League, we can't. Um, or we we can't add it mid campaign. Well, they've decided to go back on that, and and I think that if if it was ready to go and being used in other competitions, I think this goal was good. We need we're we're lacking the crucial camera angle that shows Atiba's back to like truly establish that it wasn't an elbow or something um but when you look at the slow motion things i think it was was more or less legit i don't think that, i don't think i have a problem with it i also think um, that if
0: a player is like falling down like that i mean how aware could he be if, if of <laughs> his body <laughs>
1: Uh, a behind-the-back elbow spike. Yeah,
0: that like I'm pretty convinced <laughs> that that's not some sort of secret hand of God maneuver. I mean, I think it might be an actual hand of God that like picked that ball up and knocked it <laughs> off of some part of a Tiba But yeah, I mean, I, I'm I think it's obviously a goal, and I, I mean, I think. The threshold of clear and obvious is is not, clearly not met here. Um, if you if you but, if you literally I just describe how the goal, went, but,
1: but but I just mean to say that I think that if if it had been the last, if if it's literally this game after it, then Concacaf said, "Oh, we were wrong. We're going to do VAR." Sure,
0: sure, sure, sure. I sure. would have
1: been like, I was going to be. I would if I was the El Salvador coach. I would be like, okay, now we're doing. <laughs>
0: Fair enough, yeah, I mean it warrant another camera angle look if they had it, but
1: for sure,
0: um yeah, and and we roll on, obviously it's it's not gonna be any news to anyone here, but um, Canada is so so very close to qualifying for the world cup, um, and what a thing to to say that it's all but inevitable now,
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, one more yeah that, that's the thing there's no you know there's no climatic end to this to this uh, uh, to this campaign I suppose that will come at a different tournament for once mm-hmm. um we uh, uh, that is like in some senses the beginning of games we also have um preseasons for preseason for MLs is heating up in a lot of spots. We have CONCACAF Champions League games coming up next
0: week! Oh my god. Ugh. Okay, okay. I'm ready. I'm, ready. <laughs> I'm
1: not ready. Uh, Santos versus New York City. Santos Laguna versus Montreal on Tuesday. And then um, Forge FC hosts Cruz Azul on Wednesday. Interesting. What a... what a uh, that, That's going to be a, a, a historic um, affair. Um, and Colorado and Seattle... On Thursday, visit uh, comunicaciones and Motagua. Wow,
0: there we go. It's coming.
1: The uh, oh, I forgot. New England vi- uh, visits Cavalli on on Tuesday. So we've. Uh, do we want to like start talking about some of the news for that? Because one, I think that obviously one of the key pieces of news for New England is that Matt Turner. Um, will be making his way to the uh, to the Arsenal.
0: To the Arsenal, yeah. Let's. I mean, <laughs> we're just going to let you now know now, folks. We're not going to be able to tr- cover every single transfer, not even every single big transfer that's happened since we last talked. But I think the Matt Turner one is certainly one of the biggest ones. Um, he will be joining Arsenal in the summer. I mean, the the rumor had certainly been out there for uh, an, a week or two leading up to it. Um, but it's certainly a fantastic move from Matt Turner. It's got to... Have some of the sheen taken off of it by sort of I think as the news was announced, Canada beat the U.S. Um, with Matt Turner in goal, <laughs> not getting a lot of help from his defenders. Uh, but I'm sure I'm sure the news is still very fresh and, and feeling good for him. And also, Austin Trusty will be heading to Arsenal as well. Uh, another MLS That's wild. Award, So
1: Trusty Trusty is good, but I don't know, <laughs> I don't know man. I feel is like he Arsenal good?
0: Like... My answer is yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the bar.
0: Come on, man. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Uh,
1: what do you think about? What do you think about? Uh, I just. I just mean that. Trusty is one of those guys, kind of like I. I always felt in the league like Danelle Henry, where he does a lot, so he saves a lot, but he also causes a lot of problems.
0: I, he can. Yeah. No. I. I definitely think we've. We've had a a pretty balanced assessment of Austin trustee and that he, yeah, he has some lights out performances and saves his team blushes. And he also has some mistakes and, and, and things like that. But I think he's overall, as the name implies, a pretty trustworthy defender. And, you know, I think he has been able to take his game to the next level If I'm honest, yeah, I'm a little surprised at the move. (laughs) Um, I I think that if you were looking for MLS defenders to bolster your Premier League side, I don't know that Austin trustee would be in my top five picks, but he's a great defender, and I'm looking forward to both him and Matt Turner bolstering
1: Arsenal's back line. (laughs) So for for New England, which... um, uh, Now, here's the thing. I haven't really looked... When it says for summer, does that mean we're getting the um, the Zach Stefan commemorative send off tour? I do believe that, so that is it happens the case. in the first half of the season. I think that's the case. Um, simultaneously, how do you how do you feel about that? Because it sounds like Knighton is leaving. It sounds like um, the you know they they have a, a fair amount of outward movement because they're in this window because. Um, Tejan is, is, has left and Teal Bunbury has been traded and and uh, they've got Sebastian Legette in and Omar Gonzalez in more in than out kind of so far in, in the window do you like that because it provides a little bit of stability in an era of transition or would you rather like just get the transition over with and move to the next one Move to the next era of the team with the new goalkeeper.
0: Mm, okay, right. Sorry, I had a moment of uh, panini brain where I was like, "What is the question?" I think that it came. As,
1: it comes at the end y- naturally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I think I like it. I, I think that in. A, I don't want to be like in an era of uncertainty, but I mean specifically within MLS, like I think it's going to be a wild fucking season again, and I think that having a little bit of certainty to help provide that transition is not the worst thing in the world. Now New England hasn't been quiet on the transfer market; they've they've spent quite handsomely. Um, I normally I I think I would prefer that you just get the transition over with and you find the replacements but we know uh there are player supply chain issues and it's difficult to always lock those things down and and so i'm i'm okay with it i think it's natural just because of the way um the different transfer windows align um it it makes sense to me But, of course, then the question becomes, if you're a New England fan, well, how are we going to replace these players? What is the plan for transition? Because, great, we get Matt Turner until the summer, but it can be a pretty bittersweet thing if he's not properly replaced and you end up with having to make that transition. So I guess the natural starter is Matt Turner, but then you do have the, (laughs) the... looming prospect that you've got to start have a brand new starting goalkeeper having to adjust all of a sudden so i'm interested to see how bruce arena tactically approaches this one is matt turner going to maybe be benched um a few more games just to to help provide that transition but of course i don't know that there's a natural backup for him right now
1: no i don't think there is and 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 that seems to be the direction they're going with i I just think you know if you're, a, if, for example, we hear sometimes when, when we talk about players going to Europe, the 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 teams they play for think um, as many games as we can get out of them, the better. Certainly, certainly, Orlando City was looking at it day by day when they were evaluating letting Daryl DK go away. You know what I mean? Like like in terms of like if they could have got an extra three or four games, they would have wanted it. Um, but. I don't know, a goalkeeper is, is harder to swap in, swap out. More of a fundamental part of the team, core of the team, than, than a forward that you can sort of pop in, pop out. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and it, it certainly feels like New England has more work to do and and probably some more signings to come in, and it's certainly getting down to the wire for them, but uh, you know, I, I think that also, when you have a team that's set up the way New England is and you have a coach like Bruce Arena's, I think there's it allows you some flexibility in that roster because um, he's very intentional about the players he signs. He's been very open and clear that he, he looks kind of for the person first and the player second. I, mean, I don't think he's phrased it quite that way. That's maybe over-exaggerating it. But he finds players with great work ethic and... I think if so long as he sticks to that and sticks to his system, as I'm sure stubborn Bruce will, I think New England's going to be okay.
1: Speaking of which, we I think we did we talked about uh, TFC's transfers in um, Salcedo and Salt, or we talked about them getting Salcedo in and potentially ship, in shipping off Salteldo last time, but yes. um, the I think the new. The new news on that front is that um, Bruce is is looking for Josie Altador.
0: That's right um, from from Toronto. And I last I checked, it has all but been confirmed. Um, he sort of cheekily said yesterday when asked about it, "It certainly seems that way, doesn't it?" <laughs> so, I think it's fairly it's maybe premature to announce Josie to New England, but like let's face it, I think he he's going to be joining that club. Um.
1: I think I think there are times. I think there are good times. Um, Josie will always be. A, uh, I, I, I hope somebody that is is remembered positively in Toronto, um, and and that will always mean a lot to his career. Um, but you know, the the stress of like you know, how much to rely on Josie or 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 what the relationship is like between the manager and, and, and Josie. Not a lot of years left on him. And uh, to, to allow him to reunite with Bruce, that's fine.
0: Absolutely. And, I mean, it seems fairly... I mean, I'm going purely by soccer Twitter here, but it seems fairly unanimous that Toronto fans are bummed to see him go okay with it but you know remembering him incredibly fondly as he he mm-hmm. did change the scene I, I think that he, he really did bring a different level of support I mean that goal is going to just be seared into Toronto fans memories forever um, New England fans seem kind of a little bit more mixed about like well what exactly are we what version of Josie are we getting here and, and what has he got left but I mean, we all know that if you underestimate Josie at your own risk, um, is he going to be playing a ton of minutes for New England? Of course he's not. But it is not a bad piece to have on your bench and ready to come in. And Lord knows that when he's fit, he can still play a solid 70 or 80 minutes even. So I, I think it's a good shoring up for New England and it's good for Josie as well because I, I if this is not his last season I would be very surprised and so I think it makes sense for him to be at a club where he fits in well and will get the respect he deserves get to come out score some good goals and you know go out with a bang um
1: speaking of uh of saying goodbye to a player that uh that meant something to you um, Philadelphia has, has, uh, has ended things with Casper Shabilko Trade to, uh, the Chicago Fire.
0: Were you surprised by this one?
1: Um, a little bit. I think that, um, I think that Shabilko hit, it's not the same injury issue and, 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 and relationship issue that, that Josie has had, but it has felt that, I still really like him I, th- I still think he's great And I think his offensive potential is great um, There is sort of like a Is it going to be Is he on or off today Vibe sometimes in these games And, and it hasn't yeah. always been on
0: Yeah I, I mean I think the work ethic has been there I, th- I think the desire has been there I think at times I was a little unsure of How he was being deployed and what exactly, like, other than just pumping <laughs> crosses into him cause, to, to get it to his head. Um, so I, I was a little bit surprised by the move, but also I think the destination, <laughs> Chicago Fire, makes a lot of sense. Um, yes. I think with everything that um, Ezra is setting up there and the way that they want to play, I think it makes a lot of sense to have a player like Shabilko and I th- I feel like he should be able to make that transition pretty easily. Like the Union don't play quite so differently from the way Chicago play. I think Chicago going to try to set themselves up to play pretty directly. Um, yeah. I I mean, it. I, and, th- this was one that caught me a little bit off guard. But then as I when I was like, oh, to Chicago, and then thought about it, and I was like, yeah, yeah, that <laughs> that all tracks.
1: And Chicago has made well. Chicago needs to be making big moves because it, it has been some challenging seasons for them. They they've they've, they've uh, been Bobby terrible. Shuttleworth has left. <laughs> yeah, just been Shuttleworth terrible. has left. Spencer Ritchie in is a free agent. Um, and of course the big the big surprising move: Jürgen uh, Shakiri. That's right. Swiss is coming in from uh, from Leon. Um, a player who. Um, was playing for Liverpool um, depends on what you um, it really depends on how you you look at it because in some senses like you would look at it as saying oh well he's he's a couple of years off of his his peak performance on in the English Premier League but he is also just 30 and and a lot of people are saying that he's still at his top level so it's a little bit of a surprise move mm-hmm um, and, and not just a surprise move in terms of why he would come to MLS, but, and, and again, not to, <laughs> Chicago fans, we love you. Sorry, if I'm going to say this, but why Chicago? Because, because they've been, they've been, uh, they've been in a challenging situation and they haven't really had been a, a big attention grabbing transfer team since Schweinsteiger.
0: hmm
1: Absolutely. Um, well, I feel like FC
0: Dallas. I could just breathlessly read off a list of big names coming in. Dallas has been incredibly busy in the off season. I, I mean, maybe maybe we can do this for next time. But I w- I'm kind of curious to know about who you think the most improved team or who had the best off season is. But I think we need to let a few more moves fall into place to
1: be able to fully answer that one. I'll take that into consideration, but, but you've got to say that adding Dom Dwyer, Paul Ariola, uh, in one with, along with all of the other, um, the, the, the Nanu from Porto and, in and, and some of these, uh, these pickups that have been made. Yeah. Um, just combination of
0: picked up, uh, Ryan Hollingshead said as well from, Oh, Oh wait, no, sorry. Picked up Marco Farfan. <laughs> That's have that That's great. That's still That's all right. Ryan Hollingshead is going to LAFC in exchange for Marco Farfan. I, I think that one makes sense as well. Hollingshead has has been pretty steady for them, but I, I think it, it makes sense to, to maybe make the change now and, um, yeah, try to bolster all across the pitch. And that certainly seems to be uh, what Dallas is... Uh, MO is right now and if you were ever wondering where the peppy money went uh <laughs> just take a look there at the current roster there it is they did not sit on the the purse on this one and they they spent mightily and yeah i'm i'm interested to see how Dallas's season shakes out it will also be interesting to see with so many new additions how how the players gel
1: um for Vancouver we had uh the announcement that um mm the 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 manager will be continuing on uh, 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 for a second season. And and in some senses, it, it kind of felt like everything is, uh, you know, like, you know, you've had a good, a great, you know, final run of the year. Yeah. The, everything's ready. coming up. <laughs> what, what could possibly go wrong? I don't know that go wrong is 100% how you would describe, uh, like, Maxime Crepo has decided that he needed to go to LA. He engineered that transfer. Um, it uh, he's now with back with associate or sorry assistant head coach Mark Dos Santos. Um, I have no idea what the circumstances were that required that to happen. I hope they weren't bad ones. I hope that the things are going well for him and 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 what exactly what exactly the inside of that is is something we're going to have to i guess learn about as as uh, as time goes on
0: yeah i mean i i feel like kripo you know we we all know kripo has said like it for personal reasons and ac- or that's it sort of came first from axel schuster and then kripo confirmed that there's been much made about i think some fairly small innocuous comments here and there about business decisions and I mean, I'll certainly say I think Cropot did the job very well, but there was times where it, it didn't seem that he was entirely happy, and I, I think that also with the firing of Mark Dos Santos, it wasn't like his... Um, Cropot needed to worry about his spot or anything, but then I I sensed a, maybe just a, a slightly different shift in, in the way that he showed up and... Um, and Frankly, I think we'll probably never know, and I'm content to just leave it at that. I mean, it, it sucks for Vancouver. It sucks because we all liked Kripo as a person and as a player. Whatever his reasons are, I, I'm fine with. it. It's <laughs> it's sad when you have a fan-favorite leave. Um, Going to LAFC, yeah, that stings a little. Getting a million dollars for him, that does certainly take some of the sting out of things. Um, It's a, a good fee for a domestic goalkeeper and i'll be honest i don't know that a lot of other teams would have offered that and it might have been the mark Santos connection that sort of greased those gears i don't mm-hmm. quite recall who was announced first but i think it was pretty clear mark Dos Santos has been with i mean he was at lafc before clearly they would have asked him um i'm, I'm sure in some small way uh mark Dos Santos played a part in that um but it's not a, a terrible bit of business. We've got Thomas Asal. Um, I know that there's been rumors about bol- bolstering that position. I think Axel Schuster's confirmed that they've been looking at that. We did add um, another goalkeeper recently. Whose name? I'm forgetting.
1: Isaac that's re-signed, but right. that's, that's just, that was a that was guy we already had. Right, 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 right.
0: We had a, um, a USL guy or something. I did see a rumor that apparently there was conversations. I think about a Pantamis Cavallini swap that w- would have maybe maybe involved some cash, but I haven't seen anything else about that. And I think from what I gleaned that news from a poorly translated tweet from uh, a Montreal supporter account. So.
1: This is this is one of those situations I feel where where I loved Crepo. I loved having a player that I felt like was one of the best players in the league on the team. Obviously, I felt incredibly safe with uh, Kripo as a goalkeeper. Um, I really like Hassall and and that's sort of the the optimism take that a lot of people are taking, where it's like, well, we are um, we we like our guy, and we're all in on our guy, and and there's been a lot of success, so. That's a that's intriguing to me. I'm excited to see where that goes. I'm not necessarily negative on it. i um, I think that did Brad Knighton retire? <laughs> or did he did he retire or leave? We gotta somebody. There must be a a, a strong second person in hey, that position.
0: David Osted came out of retirement. That's true. You know, I'm just somebody. Paulo some- Tornaghi's still playing. <laughs> If we're gonna go so, X Whitecaps goalkeepers, there's some options.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I just think that the the reason why we're in the Thomas Hassel situations in the first place is because goalkeeper depth is necessary. Um, I don't have any necessarily necessary problems with Isaac Boehmer, but I think that that would be um, a challenging uh making him the, the 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 number 2 would be a, a challenging role for him uh ve- so early in his career
0: yeah i don't see thomas Hassel as just a I mean, nobody does, is a straight swap for Cropot, and that's obvious because they're at very different stages of their careers. That's not anything against Thomas Assal; He's obviously stepped in under a high-pressure situation before to fill in for Maxime Cropot and performed really, really well. So what we know of him is is all good, and he, he's not untested. But we're also, mm-hmm. I think, all in agreement that it probably makes sense to... Ha- he's technically, I think, in a supplemental slot. Um... So we're still probably shopping for a starting goalkeeper and that's I think just the
1: honest truth. You don't think we you don't think we start the season with Hassal as as the number one.
0: I think we might start him as the number one. I think the the club is still going to be looking to add and I think they're going to be looking for a older more experienced goalkeeper that would likely start over Hassal if they can find the right goalkeeper. I mean, I hear them 100% that they're all in on Hassan and behind him, and I think that's, that's great confidence to have. But, I mean, looking at their roster, they definitely need depth there, and it would make sense to aim higher than what you have. <laughs> Always, right. right? Like, you know, I don't Isn't think they're going to be looking to be adding somebody from CanPL. That's what I'm saying.
1: Right. Well, I wonder if, you know, you have somebody floating around, like, even, like... Um, I just mentioned Bobby Shuttleworth is free, you know, like there, there are a, there are a rotating cast of MLS second goalkeepers. Yeah. Well, I um, mean,
0: when we signed Evan Bush for like a week, um,
1: uh, man, I saw Evan Bush on the players outside of the, the, the uh, chart, but he's also on the players inside of the chart. So he's not available. Yeah.
0: But I mean, this pantomist thing might have some legs to it and <laughs> I gotta be honest, like I'm, I'm okay with Cavallini staying another season and and seeing if we can't with a fit Cavallini and and us the the team playing really well to have it work. But it's been a struggle, and not just from the fitness side. And it's a, a really expensive piece to have that so far <laughs> over two really difficult seasons for sure. It hasn't really worked out. So. I'm I'm open to the idea and not not necessarily like just a goalkeeper for a striker I think there would need to be some significant cash and maybe some other incentives added on there but right you know I got to admit when you look at Brian White just resigned it's clear the club have tremendous confidence in his abilities um again if you're looking to strengthen the team I think adding a more experienced goalkeeper and then maybe looking for more of a depth um forward signing that probably you don't even really need because we've been doing okay without Cavallini Mm -hmm. and I don't and I don't want to be down on him but I just at a certain point you kind of have to go but like if we look at the performances and the stats does it really justify the expense and we also know the Whitecaps are a team that have been pretty pragmatic about money and that's why they've kept their goalkeeper situation the way they have is that they decided that they'd been spending far too much in that position and could get the job done with domestic players and by bringing younger goalkeepers through that system. And, you know, it makes sense and it's been working okay. So I I think that it makes sense to spend big money on big players where it makes sense. And, and if it's starting to not make sense, maybe look at readjusting.
1: He becomes the big question, and it'll be on the on the player side and and it'll be left to see i guess what happens next with that the biggest i guess question mark though for the vancouver whitecaps are is is in in some senses the 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 biggest news in in years is um the fact that bob Berarda, the former coach of the women's team um has entered guilty pleas to uh three counts of sexual assault and one count of touching a young person for a sexual purpose. Um, the, this is the culmination of, of what had been, um, I think like one of the central things, uh, one of the, 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 the central storylines around the club since 2019, um, since the post from care McCormick and, 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 and since the walkouts, mm-hmm. um, this has uh, the the case itself had been put over time and time and time again. Um, so I don't even know if a lot of people were like if it was on people's radar that like we' we might get a conclusion to this, but mm-hmm. um, it is from from where that started in terms of of what the unfortunate shadow this, this cast on so many people's lives. Mm -hmm. Um, it, but also, you know, living in, living in people's memory and, and, and being, you know, swept under the rug and stuff to think that, you know, certainly if that blog post hadn't happened, um, there would have never been any justice in this case. Um, that's the fault of the Vancouver Whitecaps and the fault of Canada soccer. um, To get to this point where, you know, it has, you know, these experiences have been, have been validated and and we don't know what the sentencing is going to be, but, but that is, um, that is, it is, the whole situation is, is horrific and, and, you know, thinking about what happened is, 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 so horrific and painful that it was done, you know. You know, at the at the time that I was supporting, in, the, in, in some cases, in the time that you were supporting. Mm-hmm. No, I, I was I quite a white casting yet at this point. But, well, in any case, you know, like the same club. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same club. The the club in at that time to now is is the same club, and and
0: it's the same exact executives.
1: They and that's the that's the question now is that. Um, the in the fall, um there had been uh the the team had um announced that the league will all the the executives are all suspended while the league is investigating them. Um that was the club's statement to this effect that they were that they were gonna look into it. Or they were, that that they're looking to see what happens with the MLS team. I think I saw somebody suggest that one of the executives has already uh, put uh, end on their <laughs> LinkedIn. <laughs> oh, who was that? Um, Don Ford. Mm. Um, whether that be, uh, that's a Glass City special, if I recall. Mm. Um, but I would have to find it. Um, but yeah, like that's the we are. At a precipice right now with the Whitecaps, where there have been time after time after time, strange decisions, um, bad communication, tough credibility. That's the that's the number one thing I was thinking of, and and, and it's what the Whitecaps don't have right now. Um, Axel has, by being a relative outsider, Axel Schuster has some credibility. Um, but as I said in the fall, like the Caps have the ownership of the the current ownership of the Caps um, came out and said they were going to do better and then uh, came out and said they were going to do better and then was also covering up another case involving allegations towards Anthony Blondell. Yeah. You know, uh, at the same time as they said they were going to do better. The... The 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 credibility is so low, and and that's an issue right now. Thankfully, a lot of these issues are being heard at other t- clubs, and and hopefully some changes being made that'll be make things safer for people. Um, well, like even
0: even in just preparing notes for this show, it's like I could barely keep up this week with the number of things. And it, it just is so clear to me that MLS is a, you know, like a broader society has a rape culture problem and nobody wants to talk about it. I mean, well, not nobody, lots of people are talking about it, but it's at every level. It seems it's, it's in ownership, it's in coaching, it's in affiliates, it's it's actually getting hard to even keep up with the number of different things that are coming to light which i'm saying is like is a really positive thing that so many things are coming to light but i think it's not just the white caps as an organization that are at a precipice i think the portland timbers are certainly in that place as well and i think as a league because at a certain point with the league so heavily involved in teams i think there's also serious questions being asked of John Garber and the league in terms of how they've facilitated cover-ups. And even all of yesterday, you know, all Portland fans are talking about is getting some accountability um, and getting Merritt Paulson out of their club. And we can get into some of the detail there in a moment. But, you know, Portland decides that's the day to announce the Blanco re-signing. And that's all that the club has to say about anything is you know that there's a half-hearted apology that of course reads like a we're very sorry if you were offended by this bad thing we should have addressed and didn't but now we did but it's like the d as details are emerging about more things being covered up and how long the club knew about andy
1: polo (sighs) which uh he has been you you have here in the notes that uh jeff carlisle of espn says that he has been suspended and removed from team activities pending an investigation into allegations of domestic violence.
0: And since he has had his... Ne- he, yesterday had his contract terminated by the Portland Timbers. Ah. So he is now out. Um, but it's sort of as that was announced, people were also like, well, this... The club knew about this for several months. Um, and the disturbing thing to me there too is I, I know that we talk a lot about front offices as and ownership and absolutely we should. I also think there's a responsibility of players too and it, it's disturbing to me that something like that went on and I there's a lot of different intersecting layers for a player and and certainly standing up to your employer um it, it's just really disturbing to me the the depth and pervasiveness of things like this that and I understand a player's actions off field are are separate from. Or they're not separate from; they're a different thing, a different part of this. It, it it's just sort of like I I don't know if I'm just having trouble processing all of it.
1: I think um, that let me let me try and 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 talk about tie a couple things together in in into talking what what the culture issue is. I think in in. Yeah. In the sport right now, as it stands, and and that is, um, I'm actually going to talk about Scotland and the Wraith Rover situation, where they had had brought in a guy. This the second division team brought in a guy who had um, lost a civil case where the judge ruled that he had committed rape, and uh, and the club was the was you know up in arms about it. The, the the people who the backbone of the club, the supporters, the people whose names are on the stands, and they tried to say, you know, we want to be a community club, but we've made a footballing decision and we're, we're trying to to regain your trust while we still have this guy on the on the roster. And I think that when there are when you look at North American soccer right now, there are there are challenging points and points of hope in terms of like. You need, it's, I know how hard it can be when it's an ownership situation, but you need these people to be gone. Like the, you can't, there is no standpoint for rebuilding trust. That's the biggest problem I think culturally that has has dealt with this is that so many of the, the times we're trying to rebuild trust while the negative elements are still there. Like you have, you know, the stories that came out about Rory Dames the former Chicago red stars coach of um, from when he was in youth soccer. And it's like the, the thing is that people came, people came to the U S soccer, you know, players came to U S soccer and complained about him and were, were brushed off. This is just his, his deal. You know, like that's the, the elements are still, the elements are still there. Getting rid of Delaware Hansen was good. And uh, for for both NWSL and MLS, um, the news that Stephen Baldwin is now uh, finally getting hostile took over by, <laughs> by Michelle Kang yeah. at uh, Washington Spirit is is great news. Um, but like ultimately, it is tough for a team like Portland to have neg- have attempted to, to to negotiate this idea that people. Want and need accountability from Merritt Paulson and from Gavin Wilkinson, mm-hmm. and they're still in in and to try and rebuild that that uh, that relationship. Without that, means that every time something new like this comes, like the Andy Polo thing comes up, that's going to be consistently the fly in the ointment. You know, and and it's not just a coincidence. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like people are saying that that the people that create these cultures are in in some ways enable them to happen I'm not necessarily like you know directly implicating anybody in that but it's like in in saying that you know somebody helped but it's exactly what you said about like I think that that relates to your point about players
0: and it, well, in this situation yeah well, Atlanta when you hear details and and start to see the the levels in which power protects power and you have people utilizing their personal connections and their political I mean maybe not political connections but like trying to cover things up and I understand that they don't see it as that, but that's what it is and And as you said like nothing else will do. The, all of these people need to be removed from the clubs. And frankly, nothing else will do in terms of even beginning to restore trust. Because I think it's so easy to talk about that trust, but we so often put that back on the supporters or back on, you know, the survivors of these experiences. And it's like, no, 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 no. These were not the people that broke the trust. It's on the organization to do the right thing. And if we're just, I know we've hopped around to a number of different things, but to just bring myself back to something to the Whitecaps, those executives need to all be gone. And, yeah. I, I mean, for myself, I, I'm not paying that organization any more money until that has happened. I'm, I think we're all at a point where we're tired of hearing, having investigations upon investigations. Like, you have the information. You know who was there. You know what happened. I can appreciate, in Axel Schuster's case... He's coming in from the outside. But taking the job, he had to have known something about these or been incredibly naive. And I would say his time is running out very quickly. There's also nothing that prevents him from taking decisive action at whatever point he wants. And I think that's a thing I want to emphasize. I'm not against due process, but I don't believe that due process has been followed at any step. So I'm not confident it's being followed now. But people in charge have have tremendous power because we've seen them yield that power to protect players and to protect themselves and to protect other people that are powerful they also have the power to make more decisive decisions they don't need to hire outside consultants or investigators to tell them what to do and i i just i don't buy it anymore take take action do what needs to be done um and unfortunately for the Whitecaps, in most cases, I think the damage is already done. Whatever they do, they've already lost a huge part of their fan base that I don't think will come back regardless of what the club does. And th- there's just no way around that. Um, unfortunately, trust can't always be repaired. And the Whitecaps now are not just, they're, I'm, like I said, they're not fighting for the, that fan base back. I think they're fighting to retain what they still have left. And that's going to be increasingly hard to do. Not that that should be their, their motivation, but it, it, it's people are tired of hearing the same things. And, like, we all talk now. We all know what's going on at each other's clubs. Um, and, and people are not afraid to, to walk away from a team they love if they don't feel like that team is doing the right thing.
1: Um, the, I, I think that you make a great point that investigation, like, when you talk about due process, due process, there's no policy that says that you have to investigate the situation before you decide to fire people. That's not due process. That's, that's, that's what is happening with these investigations is we want some sort of, we want some sort of backup about these decisions we make before we, before we do it. You know, we, we, we don't want to just you know, just like a just just a just a sort of fear about, well, about doing when the people doing the right thing.
0: Investigating have a vested interest in limiting the fallout. Yes, like I'm sorry, we're not stupid. Like logic still applies in this situation. If the people investigating have something to gain from limiting the fallout, that is not due process.
1: That's ultimately a big thing that I think that we still haven't even got the chance to 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 look into about all this yeah. is that um we can talk about the executives. The executives have the support of the ownership. And I think that that Axel is being empowered to do the things that he wanted wants to do, but you can fire your executives because you had a bad game last week if you wanted to. Exactly. When you're the ownership and, exactly and, and and people get uh, shit
0: can for way less.
1: So And yeah. I think that that um that's the like like there there are no current, you know, advanced discussions about what the liability is and, and what the responsibility is on the ownership. Not liability, but you know what I mean? Like like what implicates them and whether or not the team should be sold or whatever else. But but if there is to be any kind of trust um, to be reestablished, we have to feel like somebody is serious about dealing with this kind of stuff and is, and is going to try and, and, and tackle it in a clear-eyed way in an intentional way in a willful way. um can I read um Kara McCormick's blog post? Mm-hmm. um some of it. Um, she's done a new one about this situation yeah which is very good recommend you read it and um the uh essentially reflecting on 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 things with the guilty verdict we can collectively breathe and thinking of the 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 various things that she you know reflecting on various elements of the case um Thinking of our continued resilience as the Whitecaps and their enablers continue to try and silence us even after meeting with us in 2019. Their arrogance of choosing to play the game the only way they knew how, with heavy-handed harm, despite having so many chances to do things right. What I reflect on the last three years, what I'm most proud of, is that collectively in speaking up, we have drawn a clear line in all these situations. A right side and a right, wrong side of stories to be on. No longer can powerful people and organizations cause harm in dark corners. A light has been per- turned on that people will never again be able to dim, and I feel hope that athletes are now starting to have a voice that we were never given. Um, that in in determination, heart, resiliency, integrity, teamwork, all the things that I always loved about sport, I've shut up in spades over the last 36 months, with a large explanation point being in, in the brave women that stepped forward and press charges, and who won just in being brave enough to show up. Who have made the world a better, safer pace in doing so. They're incredible, and the focus of this victory... All the focus of the victory of this guilty verdict should be on them.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's, uh... You know... You... I'm so... Glad for them. The, the people that were directly affected in this. And the people that have been indirectly affected by this in the sense that they thought in the, in the sense that if, if this was allowed to happen to other people, it could be allowed to happen to them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm so glad that they have something like that, that they can hold on to.
0: Yeah. I, I hope it brings some closure to some people. I know it's, it's far from, um, you know, a guilty verdict doesn't always mean justice for a lot of people, but I, I hope that it, i i mean i think as mccormick has said like just the community of people sticking together and standing up for each other i think that that's also a a massive win and something to take away from this is that you know powerful people will be held to account and it can be deeply frustrating but if you stick to it you can shed light on these things and you can affect change but we have to stand behind the people who come forward I agree. (sighs) So, (laughs) not the note that we wanted to start preseason conversations on. However, this continues to be a major issue and all eyes are on MLS right now and on the people in power to do the right thing and it's it's not enough to release statements anymore it's not enough to to launch yet another investigation everybody knows what needs to happen we all know who was at clubs when these things happened of course there should be process no one's arguing that but the, that's exactly the problem is there hasn't been a process there's very few in uh independent investigative authorities that can look after these things. Canada soccer has been all but silent on it. We all know the people who are responsible and need to step up and it's on the, you know, the, the next move is theirs.
1: Um, I don't want to, you know, we've, we've, we've said most of our piece on it. And, and I think that one of the things that continues to be hampering clubs in, in groups, when you talk about the white caps when you talk about Canada soccer, when you talk about rail, Salt Lake or whatever is, or, or in even Portland is the reliance on owners. Um, I know that that just TSS Rovers, the TSS Rovers, is starting a, a fan mm-hmm. um, fundraising campaign and and uh, like to essentially like have fan shareholders. Forty nine percent of the club will be will be owned by shareholders and and yeah, which will have a, a one controlling... of which is McCormick, by the way. Nice. Yeah, it's like. That's kind of one of the things I think about where it's like you at a certain point you run into this wall of like there is a lack of leadership at the top. Like Canada soccer isn't saying anything, but Canada soccer also can't like keep jerseys in the store during the the most like successful period of their their thing. Anyways, Canada soccer is, is like, you know, in some ways several people st- uh, stacked up into a trench coat. Yeah. Um and 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 better different changed leadership and changed models from leadership I think at the top levels of the sport are necessary. That one project won't change everything, but it's something I'm thinking about.
0: And well absolutely and players have to have a place to go where they they know they're going to be protected and heard and that there's a process that can be followed that is outside of the clubs. Because a club should not be... I mean, (laughs) this is the problem with... ah, There's lots of ground to cover and lots to unpack, but uh, any body should not be investigating itself. That is not independent. That is not due process. There needs to be an independent body or multiple. There needs to be clear rules that are followed and clear processes for what kicks into action when uh, a player or somebody else comes forward with these kinds of allegations. Um, and the the final say in these matters should not rest on some benevolent power within the club. No. That, that's always going to lead you to exactly the kinds of outcomes that we've already seen. On that note... Um, we are getting ready for MLS season to to kick off. So I believe yes. coming down the pipes we'll do a little bit more, I think looking at some rosters and evaluating the depths of, of certain squads coming up. But game it's hard to believe but we are uh, just uh, what a couple of weeks just under a couple of weeks away from season 20 off. days
1: or something, isn't it?
0: I think we might be down to 14
1: Jeez.
0: <laughs> anyway, I mean, obviously, whenever we post this, it might be fewer, but we are getting into the final stretch for MLS to be kicking off, and uh, it feels like we were just here a moment ago.
1: Well, until uh, until we we get there, where can we find you online?
0: You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. You, of course, can find this podcast at That's So MLS.com on Apple Podcasts,
1: all the other podcast platforms. Uh, where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter, at Team Bates, And
0: until next time, don't get sent off.